Well, good morning. I'll try that again. Good morning. It's good to be together, and I just I love seeing Jenna's story. I love seeing such a beautiful picture of transformation, and, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about uh, what is transformation, and how does it really, really happen in our lives. And, and every week that we're together as a church, if you've been here for a while, or maybe this is your first or second time, you've probably heard us say this phrase. Jarrett said it just a few moments ago, that our mission is that we want to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. That's our hope. That's our desire. That, that's why, why we are a church. Um, that, that is our, our deepest, deepest passion. Uh, and really, I mean, you can sort of say it in a couple of different ways, that, that we want to lead people into a relationship with Jesus where, where your life is consistently changing, where, where your life is, is not staying the same, but, it, but it's looking different. And, and I remember when we were first sort of wordsmithing our, our mission statement and trying to figure out, you know, how is it that, that we need to say what, what we believe God has most put on our heart to do and to be as a church. And, and I remember us talking and saying, like, well, maybe we just need to say, like, we need to lead people into an uncomfortable life with Jesus. And then every one of us realized, like, well, if we said that, nobody would ever come uh, because nobody ever wants to be uncomfortable, right? But that's what the idea of transformation is. It's, it's about changing, and it's growing, and, and it's getting unstuck. And, and really, if, you, if you're really honest, change makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Change makes us uncomfortable. While every one of us, we probably look at different areas of our life and different things that are going on, and there's, there's probably some things, because I know this is true in my life, there are probably some things in some areas of your life that, that you know need to change. They need to shift. They, they need to be transformed. Uh, but most people, they tend to be a bit resistant to change, don't they? And we like the predictability of something. And so often, uh, when it comes to things needing to change, oftentimes we can become resistant to actually doing what is necessary for the change to occur, right? Uh, we had a, a fun thing happen in my family uh, just this last month uh, where a big change occurred. Um, my mom, who actually comes here uh, regularly, um, she, she lives out in the suburbs, out in Wheaton. Uh, she was here this morning at the 9 o'clock uh, service. Well, when her and my dad first got married, uh, they moved into this house in Wheaton, and uh, they've lived in the same house all these years. Uh, my dad passed away about seven years ago, uh, but my mom still lives in this house, and it's the same house that uh, they brought me and my brothers home from the hospital to, and, um, and, and she loves her home. We love her home. My kids love going there because they think it's so cool to, like, go to the room where mom grew up in and, and play there and, you know, play in the backyard, and so it's, it's so fun to be able to, to go there, and I'm not going to necessarily tell you what year it was that they uh, bought this house, because then you would start doing the math and you would know exactly how old I am. But let's just say it's been a long time. Um, well, all, all along, my mom had this beautiful family room in the back, um, or this dining room, I'm sorry, and it was this big dining room, and she had this family room in the front of the house. 
And we kept saying to her mom, you should flip-flop the rooms. Like, you should take the dining room, which, you know, should really be the family room, and you should make that the, the you know, the family room and, and put the dining room in the front of your house, and you should flip-flop these rooms, you know, because it, it would be so much better. There'd be so much more room in this back room instead of, you know, us just having a table in this dining room where we have, like, you know, six meals out of the year together, you know. And so we would always say this to her, and she'd always be like, no, you guys, it's fine how it is. It's always been this way. I like it this way. It's okay, you know, and we would keep pressuring her, and we keep telling her, like, no, Mom, just flip the rooms. Just flip the rooms. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Just move the furniture. It's not that big of a deal. But to her, it was like, no, that's, I don't want to do that. I like it how it is. Well, my mom, um, a, about a month ago, as I said, she, um, we, had, we had a bit of a change. So my mom had knee surgery, and it was planned, and, and she knew she was going to have it. Um, and so she went into the hospital for her knee surgery. Well, after her knee surgery, um, she was going to go to this rehabilitation uh, facility so that her knee could get stronger, and she was going to be there for two weeks. And so my brothers and I, we realized we finally had an opportunity. <laughs> she, she can't walk, and so she can't even get to her house to know what we're doing. And so we decided now is our opportunity. We are going to do our own little, like, extreme home makeover on my mom's house, a little, like, while you were out. And so we got together, and we started sending emails, and we started talking about all the things that we were going to do and, and have this really cool gift for her, this really cool, like, blessing. And so, you know, what started out as just, like, flipping the rooms became much grander. And so we pulled out all of the carpet, and we laid hardwood floors. We took down all of her... Um, 1982 wallpaper um, that was in desperate need of going, and we painted all of the walls, and, and we flipped the furniture. We got her some new furniture, and it was this really, really fun thing for my brothers and I to do together and our family to do together. Well, then came the day for her to come home from the hospital, and honestly, we were like a little worried. We're like, she's either going to love us She's going to really hate us. Like, I don't know which way this is going to go, but it looked amazing. It looked incredible. And she came walking into the house. And I mean, like, there were tears, like, horizontal coming out of her eyes. I mean, she just was so blessed and so moved, and she loved it. I mean, we had our own, like, move that bus kind of moment, you know. Ty Pennington has nothing on us. And um, it was just, it was so much joy. It was so fun to, to bring this change into her life. Well, this Thursday, we were all there, and we were sitting around, you know, the Thanksgiving table, and we're in the new dining room, which is where we always thought it should be, and we're sitting around the table, and we're all talking, and we're going around the table, and we're talking about different things that we're so grateful for, and different things that have changed us, and, and things that have happened in this last year, and it gets around to my mom, and, and she says, you know, I just, I'm, I'm so amazed at what you all have done, and I'm, I'm just so blessed, and I feel so loved that you all would would do this for me. And, and then she said this phrase, and, and honestly, this may sound a little strange, but I'd been waiting to hear this all along. And she goes, you know, the more I think about it, I should have changed this years ago. And I'm just sitting there, and I found so much pleasure in being right. And I'm sort of kidding. Uh, but I, I mean, it was so great. It was just this awesome moment. And, and sometimes... Sometimes I know that's just a room and it's just, you know, some furniture that got flip-flopped. But sometimes the things that need to be changed in our life, we can't see them, right? Or sometimes we can be afraid of them. Or sometimes we can even be a little bit downright resistant to them changing. Sometimes it's not the change itself that people don't like. 
It's the uncertainty that goes along with the change, especially if it's of any great significance. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the story of the first church, and we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we're going to conclude our series here this morning by, again, looking at a, a moment in the life of this first church where we can truly see a picture of transformation. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. There should be one around you somewhere. Uh, and I'm going to have you open up to Acts chapter 9. It's found on page 765 of the Bible that's around you. And we're going we're gonna to read through most of this chapter, the first part of it, together. But a little bit of history, a little bit of backstory before we dive into Acts chapter 9. Uh, throughout the book of Acts, um, really throughout the entire New Testament and throughout the story of the first church, there is uh, probably arguably the most influential writer of the New Testament that uh, appears first in this, in this chapter that we're going to look at. Uh, it's the Apostle Paul. And if you've ever read any of the letters of Paul, and, and if you haven't had any history about Paul and any history about his life and, and about his following of Jesus, you would just read his letters, and, and you would honestly, just from, from first blush, you would look at it and go, he, he must have been one of the closest followers of Jesus. But the truth about Paul is that he actually wasn't. Um, in fact, Paul, his life began under the name of Saul, which we're going to look at in a moment. And Saul was actually a persecutor of the Christians. In fact, he, he hated the followers of Jesus. They were referred to as the followers of the way. That's what the first Christians were referred to as. And, and he, he was a persecutor. It was, it was his ambition and his mission to keep the church from spreading. He was trying to stop the gospel from advancing. And, and, and Saul has this remarkable moment he has this remarkable moment that we're going to read about here in chapter 9. I mean, he's like the least likely character to be changed by Jesus. He's the least likely person to experience transformation, and yet this is what happens to Saul. So we're going to start in chapter 9, verse 3, and it says this. Just to give you a little bit of history, Saul, uh, he had actually gotten some, some papers. He had gotten some, some orders from the officials to actually go to this city and to actually arrest the Christians. So he's on the road. He's about ready to go and do this. And this is where we pick up in the story in verse 3. It says this, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Well, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Let me pause there for a moment. So you see what's happening here, right? I mean, Saul's on this road. He's with a bunch of his buddies. He's going to arrest some Christians. All of a sudden, a beam of light begins to talk to him. He falls to the ground. If this was me, I would do a lot more than just fall to the ground, right? And, and, and literally, Jesus begins to speak to him. He's blinded in the moment. The Bible literally says, if you keep reading, that the guys around him, they didn't have words. They didn't know what to say. They were so astounded at what had just happened. And so literally, Jesus says, get up, go into the city, and wait for me. And so that's, that's what he does. He gets up, he's blind, he can't see, and his, his buddies help him to, to this home where he waits for a few days. Well, the passage, it goes on, uh, and it continues on. Jump down to, to verse 10, and it says this. In Damascus... There was a disciple named Ananias. So now, so now another guy enters into the story. 
Uh, The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So you see what happens, right? Now there's another moment where the Lord comes and visits another man. So so his first visit was to Saul on the road. The second visit is to this man, Ananias, in his home. Now, Ananias is a follower of Jesus. Ananias is is a part of the church. He's he's all about extending the gospel, right? And he has this moment where, where Jesus says, Ananias, I have chosen you. I want you to go to this house. He tells him exactly where it's at. And he says, I want you to go put your hand on this guy, Saul, and I want you to heal him. He's blind right now, and you're going to give him sight. And I mean, if you're Ananias, you'd be like, uh, Lord, I think you're at the wrong house. It, my name isn't Ananias. My name is Stananias. Like, you, you'd want to figure out, like, how do you get out of, of not being Ananias, right? I mean, because he knows who Saul is. He knows his history. He knows that this is the guy that has persecuted Christians. So why would he want to go to the house and to, to lay his hands on this guy, but, but he obeys, he listens, and, and you jump down to verse 18, and it says this, Ananias goes, and you know, he puts his hand on Saul, and he does exactly what Jesus said, and, and, and Saul is healed, he can see, it's unbelievable. In verse 18, it says this, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I mean, you talk about a transformation story, right? And you think about Saul. Saul. Saul is the guy that's trying to persecute Christians. He's the, he's the guy that's trying to hurt Christians. And all of a sudden, this verse literally ends with saying, like, he got up, he was baptized, just like we saw Jenna get baptized. He took some food, and then he, he regained his strength. And you go on in the passage, and it says that he literally started to preach. He literally started to tell people about Jesus. You talk about, talk about a shift. You talk about a change. You talk about somebody's life being transformed, right? I, I had this really cool experience. I don't know if you've ever had like a, a transformational, like physical experience in your life. Uh, this summer, uh, I had one of these really cool experiences. Um, ever since I remember, uh, probably first or second grade, I realized that I had really terrible eyesight, um, in fact, I started wearing glasses at a really young age. I think I got my first pair of glasses, like kindergarten, first grade, somewhere in there. And uh, my prescription was a negative 6.0. I mean, so, like, I really, I could not see. Uh, and so uh, forever, I had always wanted to do uh, laser surgery. I'd always wanted to go and get this done. And so this summer, we had saved up enough money, and I found a good doctor, and I made an appointment. And so I went in, and I got my laser surgery. And it was such an unbelievable experience. You know, you're, you're laying there, and they put these lasers in your eyes, and, you know, they close your eyes right away. And then, you know, you wait about 24 hours. And the next day, you wake up, and you can see. I mean, it's like unbelievable experience. Well, when I first came home, my kids were super disappointed because they thought that I was getting lasers in my eyes 
they thought that I went in for like some sort of superpower, you know, surgery where I could now then like shoot lasers from my eyes. So they didn't think the surgery was nearly as cool as I thought it was. But I'll never forget waking up the next day. You know, that that first day, everything was black and fuzzy. I, I couldn't really see anything. But waking up that next day and being able to see I mean, I I wanted to tell everyone in the world to go get laser surgery, even if they didn't have, like, bad eyesight. It was so unbelievable to me. It was was transforming. And and, and Acts says about, about the life of Paul that literally it was so transforming, his life, that people were astounded. They were literally astounded with what had happened to him. I mean, this guy, Paul, he literally became a new man. He, he became a new man. Yeah, I, I, I was referring to him as both Saul and Paul. Literally, after he had his conversion, after he had this experience on Damascus, he was, he was no longer referred to as Saul. In fact, he was referred to with a new name. He was given a new name. He was given the name Paul. Do you know what the word means? It means humble. It means humble. You think about this guy that had had lived this intense, dogged, determined life, just literally wanting to destroy the work of the gospel. And that determination was shifted and transformed into a man of humility. I mean, his life is just this unbelievable experience of a brand new person. I mean, he would be a classic person that Larry King would want to interview, right? I mean, you had this experience on this road. Tell us about this light. You know, I mean, you can just sort of picture the interview. But up until that moment in Paul's life, his life was just marked by a determined, dogged stubbornness. He did life on his terms, didn't he? He sort of made the rules. He was probably the the furthest person from God that there was. He was about making sure that that people made external changes in their life so that they wouldn't begin to follow the teachings of Jesus, but they would actually walk away from the teachings of Jesus. He, He wasn't about a true transformation until Jesus really, really got hold of his life. And that's what happens sometimes, isn't it? We have these moments, we have these experiences. You just heard in, in Jenna's story, right? Sometimes the, a moment comes and it's not the moment that you're looking for. It's not the moment that you thought was going to happen, but it's a moment in your life that leads to movement and you start to realize God is inviting me into a transformational journey. I wonder for you, I wonder, you know, where, where's the area of your life that maybe you're most resistant to change, the place where you're most resistant to transformation, sort of the place that you sort of, you hold back from God. Maybe you you sort of dole out portions of yourself to him and you're like, I'll give you this section, God, but this one, I'm going to hold on to this one. And maybe there's, there's parts of your life where, where, you know, you, you just, you sort of continue to do life on your terms with your rules. And Paul, he had, this, he had this radical salvation experience, didn't he? I mean, most of us, most likely, you probably were not blinded while you were walking down Michigan Avenue and then started following Jesus, right? That's probably not most of our stories. But Paul's journey, 
His journey of transformation is just like every single one of us. His walking with Jesus and learning to become more like Jesus. Learning to be formed and transformed. Learning to abide. Learning to depend on Jesus. His journey is just like ours. His transformational journey is the same invitation that Jesus gives to you and to me. You know, what's so amazing to me about Paul and what's so amazing to me about his life, you know, we read in Acts 9 about this unreal conversion, this unreal moment on the road of Damascus. So, you know, the very next book of the Bible is the book of Romans. You know who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Paul wrote the book of Romans. And it's this letter and it's this invitation to a life of transformation. You can start to see the fruit right away of what God is doing inside of Paul's life. In fact, I'd love for you to just flip over just a couple of pages to to page 789. We look in the book of Romans, Romans 12. And this passage is central to to the story of this church. It's sort of the the bedrock. It's sort of the foundation that we've built this church on. And Paul writes this incredible letter. And he says, listen, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. I mean, you can just see in in just the, the first few words in that verse, right? This is a different man. This is not the same man that was persecuting Christians. He, he begins by saying, I urge you. I urge you, brothers and sisters. It's not like a, you know, here's a suggestion if you'd like to live a life with Jesus. He says, I urge you. This is my plea. And he goes on to say, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done for us, in view of what Jesus did on the cross, in view of the fact that you have been saved, I urge you, offer your bodies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what he's saying there? Live your life exactly as Jesus did, who offered his body on the cross. Jesus didn't give just a portion of himself to us. He gave all of himself to us. All of himself. And so Paul is saying, that's what, that's what Jesus is inviting you to do. He's inviting you to, to offer all of yourself, not to offer a part of yourself, not a section of yourself. Don't make like a, a little pie chart and say, Jesus, you can have 99.9%, but I'm going to hold on to this tiny little percentage here. He's saying, offer all of yourself to Jesus. And Paul knows, he knows that we're tempted to just sort of hand over partial control, aren't we? I, I know I am. There's parts of my life that feel really good to offer to Jesus, and then there's other parts where I, I want to hold on, and I want to I stay in control, and I just want to hold it to myself. But when we give our whole selves to God, that's the most pleasing worship to him. That's the most pleasing worship to him. When we sing here and, and when we worship on Sundays, it's, it's a glorious way to bless God. But you know what brings the most worship to God? When we offer all of ourselves to him. That's when he experiences the most joy in worship. And Paul goes on in this passage in Romans, and he says something really powerful. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You see, Paul understands that every single one of us, we face the temptation 
to just sort of drift through life, don't we? I I mean, I, I face this temptation all the time. And when you drift, that's when you begin to conform. And, and Paul understands that, that, that when we are conforming, we're not transforming. And maybe you've experienced this in your life. Maybe you've experienced sort of the difference between being conformed and being transformed. You see, conformed, I, I like to think of it almost like, like the animal, the, the chameleon, right? What does the chameleon do? The chameleon changes its color and its skin so that it can fit, so that it looks right, so that it, you know, it can sort of reflect whatever situation it's in. It just sort of conforms to the situation that's going on around it. it it's all about the external change. It's all about the outside, right? That, that's what the work of conforming is. And somebody that's conforming just learns how to play a part, don't they? This happens in the church all the time. I'm going to say the right thing, do the right thing, act the right way, pretend. And what ends up happening is is culture and people, they're the ones that end up having the power and the influence in our lives when we're conforming. And and conforming is just about a temporary adjustment. It's just like like a tiny little makeover, isn't it? You look a little different on the outside, but the inside is still the same. And Paul says, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to the the patterns of this world. What I've invited you to is a life of transformation. That's what I've invited you to. And it's like like the butterfly, right? We we all know the the beauty of of what a butterfly is. It starts as a caterpillar and it becomes something else, right? It it literally is is a new picture, a new creation. And it's all about what happens on the inside. It's not external shifts and changes. It's an internal change. And we become an authentic person. And culture and people don't have the power and the influence in our lives. God has the power and influence in our lives. And it's not just about a, a temporary adjustment, like a sort of a tweak or a, you know, a shift or a do this little thing different. It's a holistic change. And when you look at that, when you look at the difference between the conformed and the transformed, and you look at the difference between those kinds of people, I mean, none of us, none of us really, if we're being honest, wants to, to live a conformed life where we respond to the, the whims and the way of, of everyone. Because God put inside of each of us a desire for transformation, a desire for lasting change, where you are holistically transformed. You know, this passage, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. By the renewing of your minds. You know, the word there, be transformed, if you were to literally translate that word, if you were to translate it into the original language, into the Greek, it literally is transformed into the word metamorpho. You know where that word comes from? We get that word in the process of metamorphosis. It's the process of the caterpillar becoming the butterfly, that that's the picture that God sees for a life in Jesus, that we literally become something new. We become a new creation. And Paul literally uses a portion of that word all throughout his letters. He says, until Christ is formed in you, until you are formed into a new creation. And this is what happened to Paul, isn't it? 
This was his life. People could see it in him. And people are supposed to see it in us, aren't they? That when we encounter Jesus and when our life is changed by Jesus, they should see the fruits of transformation literally bubbling over in our lives. People should see the spirit of of love and joy and peace and and patience and goodness and and kindness. They should see faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But oftentimes what ends up happening is the people of God, they choose a route of being conformed instead of transformed. And then the people of God, they spend their energy on being conformed. And under the surface, we're just as anxious and we're just as driven. We're just as unsettled and we're just as angry. We're just as unhappy. We're just as ego-filled because we've lived a life of being conformed instead of being transformed by Jesus. Friends, we were never intended to just receive a list from Jesus and to try to to do management of being conformed. We were invited to be transformed. And it's a journey, isn't it? It's a journey. This weekend, um, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving with our family and we went and got our Christmas tree on Friday and came home and set it up and, you know, made hot chocolate and the kids were all excited to, to get out all the Christmas ornaments and to decorate the tree and uh, it was like a little Hallmark card in our house, right? And yesterday I woke up and I woke up and, the, and literally the first feeling that I had was a feeling of anxiety. And I, I was experiencing some anxiousness. And I knew right in that moment, maybe you've had these experiences before, and I knew, I knew that what was happening was Jesus was inviting me to, to spend time with him. I could tell the anxiety was not something that I could muster through or I could, you know, put my self-effort towards it and, and make my way through. I knew that what was necessary was to just go, to be quiet, to be alone, to invite Jesus into the anxiety. But in that moment, I I chose the route of being conformed instead of transformed. The list was full. There was a lot to get done. So I got up, went downstairs. We have a Saturday morning tradition of making pancakes and bacon, and so we were making the pancakes and making the bacon. And, you know, there were pictures that Jarrett put up on Facebook and, Instagram, and everybody looked happy in the pictures, and inside I was just struggling. I was not in a good place. I was feeling anxious. I was feeling stressed about some things that were well out of my control, but I kept wanting to try and pull them back in and be in control over them. And I had to run some errands, and so I I ran over to Target, which normally gives me great joy uh, to go to Target. And, um, but I walked into Target, and I mean, there was people, there was people everywhere. They were like hanging from the rafters. They're just like, I don't know, they were like imported from other countries. There was people all over Target. And I, I just walked in, and the stress went higher, and the anxiety went higher. And I had to return some things. And so I stood in the line, and you know, I eventually got to the front, and right when I got to the front, there was like a shift in the the workers, and so a new girl came in, and she was being trained. And so um, 
she was really happy. Um, I wasn't. And, um, and she was having, you know, this moment where she kept having to ask her, her manager what she was supposed to do and how to make the register work and how to, how to do the exchange and how to, how to do it all. And, you know, and she was smiling at me and she was having a great moment and she had her Santa hat on and, you know, everybody was happy. And inside, I, I was just, I was growing in impatience. If I'm being really honest, I started to just um, become judgmental of her. I kept hoping that nobody from Soul City would walk in and see me at that moment. And I did my deal, and I, I walked through Target and got my stuff done. And I came home, um, still trying to just sort of muscle through my anxiety. And Gigi was up to something, and um, she was being her four-year-old self. And, you know, I, I don't even honestly in this moment remember, but she kept calling my name and kept asking me to do something, and I kept saying, honey, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. And after it happened over and over and over again, what I should have done was just sort of brought her to my side, sat her down in a loving tone, like opened up the Bible and said, let's talk about why children should obey their mommies and daddies. But you know what I did? I yelled at my four-year-old. And I'm not, I'm not at all proud of that. But I yelled at her in the moment. And of course, she started to cry. And then my anxiety turned into shame, and then my anxiety turned into guilt. And I continued to sort of muscle myself through the shame, muscle myself through the guilt the rest of the day. And we had dinner, and, you know, the, Jarrett went upstairs. He was doing something, and the, we had dessert, and so the sugar was, like, pulsing through their veins. And then they started jumping around and, you know, being kids again and that kind of thing. And I just I started to feel the anxiety again, and I, I was like, I, I, don't, uh, I, I need to go upstairs. I need, I, Jarrett needs to get in this situation. I don't, I don't think I have the patience to do it. And I walked into our room, and I was like, don't you know what's happening? I have to teach on transformation tomorrow. And the words sort of fell out of my mouth. And I knew, ex- I knew exactly what was going on. From the moment I got up, all day long, Jesus kept inviting me to be with him, to abide with him, to let him shift my anxiety into peace. But all I chose to do was to continue to conform. To continue to use my self-effort. To continue to to muscle myself through. To just use my, my human strength to sort of get myself out of the situation. And all the way through, Jesus just kept whispering, be transformed. Be transformed. It's not about anything that you do. It's about you being with me. It's about me transforming you. And when Paul writes about this in in Romans, he doesn't say, hey, go out and, and transform yourself. Go do a little makeover on yourself. He literally says, be transformed. Be transformed. It's a present state. It's not about us doing 
anything. It's about us being with Jesus. It's about us walking in the Spirit. It's about us choosing to abide in him. I'm sure you've all heard the the definition of insanity before, right? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again, hoping that you're going to have different results. That was my day yesterday. I kept doing the same thing over and over and over again, just muscling my way through my day, trying trying to just change my attitude ever so slightly trying to, to, to keep things to myself, just try to, you know, just stay in my humanity instead of releasing myself to God and saying, God, I, I need you to help me. I don't, I don't know where it is for you. For me, it happens through anxiety a lot. It's one of the areas where, where Jesus regularly invites me into the, the glorious yet very uncomfortable process of being transformed. Maybe it's with your finances. I don't know. Maybe you find yourself saying to yourself, all right, this, this is going to be the year. This is going to be, be the week. This is going to be the day. I'm not going to live beyond my means. I'm not going to spend money that I don't have. I'm not going to use credit cards. I'm not going to get myself to a place where I feel overly, you know, spent on all of these things, and and then what happens is you go and you do it again. And the stress comes back. And the pain comes back. And you go, ha, what, how, I just said I wasn't going to do that. Or maybe it's in in the area of relationships for you. You said, I'm not, I am not going to date that kind of guy. No matter what, I am not, I am not going to date that kind of guy. No matter what. Doesn't matter what he looks like. Doesn't matter how cute he is. Doesn't matter how many times he asks me, I am not going to date that guy. And then you date that guy. Maybe it's in your marriage. And, th- and there's been some areas where you've just sort of become partners, right? You just sort of function through the day to day, and you get yourself from A to B, and you get the kids from A to B, and there's, there's no intimacy. There's no connection. And love is, is becoming lost. And you say to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm going to shift that. I'm going to change that. And it's all about you conforming versus, Jesus, how, how are you going to transform our marriage? Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in your family. But friends, we can't make transformation happen ourselves. It's something that God does. But here is the, the, the beauty of what Jesus invites us into. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the part that we play is that we offer ourselves to Jesus again and again and again. It's not about us doing something. It's about us offering ourselves to Jesus. And in the process, the Holy Spirit is the one that begins to change us. The Holy Spirit is the one that yields the results in our lives. The closer we are to Jesus, the more amount of time that we spend with Jesus, the more we abide with Jesus, the more we can be found in Jesus, the closer you get to the you that you were created to be. That's the beauty of all of this. And religion has gotten it so backwards so many times. 
It has doled out a list to people saying, do this, 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 do this. Here's your one, two, three. Here's your to-dos. Here's your to-don'ts. Friends, that is not what Jesus died for. Jesus died so that we could be in relationship with him, so that you and I would be transformed fully into the image of what he ultimately intended us to be. That's the life of transformation. And friends, when we live that kind of life, there is no other freedom like it. It is the most, it is the most freeing life. Because it's not a list of rules of to-dos and to-don'ts. And there is a very real enemy. There is a very real enemy that is committed to you and I continuing to walk into obstacle after obstacle so that we won't transform. But what brings me so much hope is that our God is in the business of removing obstacles, isn't he? That's what our God does. That's what Jesus does. We serve, we serve a Lord and a Savior that literally says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you tell that mountain to move, and it will move. It's not about us moving the mountain. It's not about us powering through a list of how we need to conform, how we need to change. It's about Jesus transforming us. And that, friends, that's good news. And the possibility of transformation is ultimately the essence of hope. And I have absolutely no hope in you, and you should have absolutely no hope in me, especially after hearing the story of my day yesterday. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Because Jesus is who transforms us. And I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to spend a few moments inviting Jesus to do just that, to do what he is best at, to transform us, to change us from the inside out, to not make a few tweaks and a few changes here, but to literally make us new. That's what Jesus does, and that's why our hope is in him. It's not in, in what we can do ourselves, it's in, it's in him. And so I just want to invite you to, um, to maybe put some things down and to um, you know, put your Bible down and to close your eyes. And we're going to just spend a few moments reflecting, um, inviting Jesus to do what he promised he would do, to transform us. What's amazing is when we are transforming, we really begin to look different, to think different, to pray different. The people that we once judged, we see them with new eyes. There's a peace that passes understanding. When we're transforming the, the trials that enter into our lives, we begin to look at them as opportunities for God to grow us, to change us. And so, Jesus, we come before you right now. 
We don't want to live a life of conforming. We don't want to live a life of, of little tweaks here and there, little changes to our, to our external. God, we want to be new. We want to be whole. We want to be changed from the inside out, and we know that that's, that's what you promise you will do. And so, God, we bring to you the words that you brought to us through your Apostle Paul. In view of your mercy, we offer ourselves to you. We offer all of ourselves to you. And we ask, God, that you would change us from the inside out. That you would soften our hearts that you would take the areas where we're resistant or where we're holding back and that you would gently bring them to you and that you would change them, you would shift them and you would transform us into what you ultimately created us to be. Jesus, we love you. We give all of ourselves to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to spend a few moments worshiping and inviting Jesus into this this process of transformation. And as we do that, we're going to celebrate something that we celebrate every week. And that is the opportunity to to take the resources that we've been given. And to say, God, I, I want to give these back to you. I want to give these back to you so that your work can be done in this world. And so we're going to receive our offering, and we're going to continue to worship together.